This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And I've recently been thinking through the different ways that I respond and that we all respond to life when things don't go the way that we want it to go. And there's a passage from Genesis chapter 29 where this is telling the story or telling part of the story of Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah. Now, if you aren't familiar with this story or if you don't quite remember, you know, you're like, I, I know the story kind of, but, you know, here's a little refresher for what's happening in the part of this chapter that we're going to read here in this episode. Jacob was, uh, he was kind of on the run. I did an episode about how he cheated his brother out of his birthright, deceived his father into giving him the blessing. And so now he's sort of on the run in some ways. And so he heads to a faraway place because he knows he has some family living there. And so his mother's brother, Laban, his uncle, he lived a ways away and and Jacob headed there for safety. And when he got there, he, now there are, (laughs) I got to warn you ahead of time. There are some really weird parts to this story for someone who lives in 2019 to read and hear about this stuff. You're definitely dealing with the ancient world when we hear what takes place in this story, when we understand the reason that people behave the way that they do, the motivation, the culture that they were living in, we're reminded that, um, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on where exactly this came from, but there was, uh, some of you may have heard of the the author and I don't even know what his specialty is. I think it's like linguistics or something. Um, Steven Pinker, but I read a book of his and he had a quote that started off one of the chapters and it said, um, the past is a different, well, what was that? <laughs> I'm thinking of this in the moment because I'm talking about this context. I think it was the past is a, like a different country. They do things differently there. And I always thought, especially as I you know, spend a lot of time looking at these stories in the Old Testament, you know, and you go, man, this is just a, a totally different world than the world that we live in. Because Jacob ran away because he was afraid his brother was going to try to kill him. And instead of, you know, figuring out whatever, he decided just to head away, seek refuge by leaving. And so he did. He ran into um, this town where his uncle lived. And when he met his cousin, Rachel, you know, it's hard to know when he saw her or when he met her and spent some time with her. Um, But he was smitten with her. And so he went and lived with his uncle and with 
you know, now this woman that he um, was just kind of head over heels for, his cousin, which is weird, as we know. But he, he lived there and he worked. And after a little while, his uncle Laban said, hey, you know, I, I know your family, but I don't want you to be working for me for free. What do you want as payment? And Jacob said, well, you know, I'll work for you for seven years if I can marry your daughter, Rachel. And again, that kind of, you know, it's like, okay, there's a trade for a person. Again, this is, you know, it's like the dowry system and it's weird. And they make this deal. No mention at all if Rachel had any say in the matter, more than likely didn't or had very little say. And so Jacob works for his uncle for seven years. And then he has his wedding. And through some, (laughs) I don't know exactly how this would have worked, but his uncle Laban tricked him. And even though they went through the whole marriage ceremony, he spent the night with his new wife. He woke up the next morning and saw he had married and slept with Leah, not Rachel, the woman that he worked seven years to be able to marry. He married this other woman, her sister. And he goes to his uncle and he complains, understandably. And his uncle says, well, you know, it's not normal in our society to marry a younger sister off before the oldest sister is married off. And he said, okay, here's the deal. If you work for me for seven more years, um, I'll let you marry Rachel. And it seems like, he says, next week. So he finishes up a week of celebrating marriage with Leah, which You can imagine the quote-unquote celebratory feeling in that home in that week. The guy who feels cheated in his home with his new wife who feels unwanted. And then after a week, he marries Rachel, the sister he wanted to marry in the first place the sister that he loves and cares about. And that's the backdrop. That's what's happening before this passage in Genesis 29, starting in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now again, this right here is one of those things where The ancient world was so different from the world that we live in today because to not be able to have children as a woman would have been a a deep, I think shame is probably an appropriate word to describe that as. Like it would have been viewed as a huge deficiency for you. Now, I'm sure that today there are some women who feel that same way when they're hoping to have a child and it's just not happening. It's just not happening. And maybe you're listening and you go, I know that shame. I know that feeling. 
But things are different in the sense that while some of us may feel that shame today, that's not the overarching story that society tells. Because at this time, the understanding was, I mean, I don't know if it would have been necessarily this spelled out, but pretty close. This was the understanding that the value of a woman was the ability to be a mother. And even more importantly than to be a mother was to produce a son. Because a son could be the heir. The heir that would take the family name and the family lineage and the history into the future. Because for Jacob in the year whatever BC, I don't even know how long ago this would have been, thousands of years ago, he knew that he was going to live for, you know, who knows exactly how long he had in his mind, but we picture 70, 80, 90 years, somewhere in there. And I probably should have <laughs> looked up because the Bible records how long, especially a lot of these uh, earlier big name people in Jewish history lived. But he, he had an idea that, hey, I'm going to live for X amount of years and then I'm going to die. And they were a lot more in touch with that idea than us. Uh, I think, you know, probably because they were closer to day in and day out to death, not like, you know, they were on death's door, but just saying they understood, hey, we're raising these animals and then we slaughter them so we can eat. We, as we're out protecting these animals, we run into predators sometimes. And sometimes our animals become prey. And they probably knew of a couple people who had, in defending their animals, had lost their lives. Death was a lot more, um, I think I think they had probably a healthier perspective on it. Not that it's great that it was more readily accessible to their lives, but I think we've lost something uh, as we move older people into nursing homes and as we, you know, we don't even talk about when someone dies, we, we say they passed away or we lost them. We don't, you know, we even hesitate to say someone died. And that's not what I was planning on talking about, but I just thought of that in the moment. So Jacob is living and he knows that if he doesn't have a male heir, that all this stuff that he's been working toward and for, um, he's not going to have anyone to pass it down to. And so he has a sense of how important it is that he has an heir to pass all of his property all of his land, all of his flocks and herds, his gold, all the stuff he's gathered together over the course of his life, he needs someone to hand it on to. Because otherwise, when he dies, he's going to be forgotten. He's not going to have children to, 
carry on his name and tell stories about what happened in this guy Jacob's life. He's just going to kind of disappear from the face of the earth. So this first verse, this first sentence, really sets the stage for what happens. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And now in the next few verses here, Leah starts to have children. And she gives these children names, which, you know, for us, we don't think of the the name Alan, I don't think has any meaning. And maybe we can go back and find at some point, oh, it did have this meaning. But when my parents named me Alan, they were just thinking, hey, this is my dad's middle name. There you go. That's your name now. It wasn't like, oh, this name has this deep meaning. And if you've spent time in many other cultures in the world other than in the U.S., many names have meaning. And it was a normal thing and still is a normal thing in many parts of the world today. But if you're listening and you live in Michigan or you live you know, somewhere in the United States, your name probably doesn't have you know, some deep meaning behind it. But Leah gives her children names. And so I'm going to read through these passages and I'll interject for a moment at each of these names to explain the meaning behind them. So verse 32 says, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, This is me interjecting. Reuben literally means, see, a son. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my afflictions, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And the name Simeon, it doesn't have the direct translation, but it sounds like the word that they would use to describe um, heard, hearing. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And Levi sounds like the word attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And the name Judah sounds like the word praise. Then she ceased bearing. Now, I don't know, maybe with... The context of what we were talking about here, of what the meaning of having a son would have been in the ancient world, you probably picked up on this. But I want you to hear those names right in a row. She named her four sons kind of what she was going through in those moments, what she hoped to achieve what she hoped 
her new circumstance would bring about this big impact, this big change in the way that things had been going for her in life. So she names her sons Reuben, see, a son. Then Simeon, which sounds like herd. Then Levi, which sounds like attached. And finally Judah, which sounds like praise. And it's not often that we do something that's so literally like what she did, saying, hey, now that this one new thing happened in my life, I think it's going to fix all my problems. Now that circumstances are changing a little bit, things are really looking up for me, and everything is going to be different from this day moving forward. I mean, we think about that kind of stuff, right? But we never actually or rarely actually say it out loud. Now, I've mentioned this before in talking about chasing after fulfillment in money and in stuff and in accomplishments. We might not come right out and say, man, if I just could get this job, if I could just buy this house, if I could just drive this car, if I could just have X amount of money in my bank account and I want to make this really real and personal and you're going to think it's stupid, but for me, if I can just buy this one basketball card, my collection will be complete and I'll just feel so at peace. It's dumb, right? When I put it in that context of like, oh, you, you're going to buy a little... I don't even know the size of them, three and a half inch by, I don't know, five inch piece of cardboard. And that's supposed to bring you joy. And most of the time we don't come right out like Leah did and say it, make it so obvious that we think, oh, this, this thing, um, not to call a child a thing, but what we normally do is we find our value in achievements, in checking that next thing off the list, in accomplishing or acquiring this thing that we're hoping is going to finally bring us peace. And when I read through Leah's progression here, I'm reminded that she lived this out. Now we're reading it in one paragraph, but she was living this out over the course of obviously years to have four children is over the course of years. And I think that there's some great insight and some great wisdom that she learned along the way here that maybe some of us are on this same path of learning, but maybe we're not. Maybe we're thinking still, hey, if I can just get this or do this or, you know, if this circumstance changes in life, oh man, everything is going to just fall into place at that point. And she goes from naming her son 
something that means see, I had a son, thinking, man, this is going to bring fulfillment. This is going to bring me the love and the value now as a woman in the ancient world. I've had a son. I matter now. And when things didn't really work out that way for her, when she didn't become Jacob's favorite wife all of a sudden, she has another son and names him something that sounds like heard, saying, the Lord has heard that I am hated, so he gave me this son also. The next son, maybe now my husband will be attached to me. And Levi sounds like attached. And then finally, with her fourth and and last son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord and named him Judah, which sounds like praise. Now, like I said, most of us don't do anything nearly this literally. We don't say And if we have it in our minds, we are careful not to say it out loud because I think we subconsciously or maybe consciously know that we've gotten some of the stuff in the past that we thought was going to bring fulfillment, and it, it didn't. Now, whether it was something on such a small scale as We bought that thing or we bought that house or we got to drive that car that we thought was going to have that level of fulfillment. Or maybe it was a, a bigger thing. You know, maybe we thought, hey, if I can just be in a relationship with this person, if I can just have a child, if I can just do work that's meaningful, then everything's going to fall into place. And what we find out is even if some of those changes in circumstance and even some of those big things, they improve life. It's not a fix-all, though, right? We know that we still find ourselves dealing with some of the same stuff that we were dealing with before, some of the same hurts and frustrations and difficulties and what Leah over the course of years and what hopefully I'm learning over the course of years and hopefully you're learning over the course of years is that in the end what we need to do is redirect our perspective from us and our circumstances, which isn't saying we just pretend like we don't care about what's happening around us, not to just go into, you know, this like Zen-like trance or something and just pretend like, hey, everything's bad around me, but I don't really care. This is, I'm just accepting whatever comes my way. But while doing what we can do, to make changes, to make things more in line with God's kingdom at work and alive in our lives, what we do is change our perspective from only focusing in on our circumstances 
to, like Leah does here, praise. This time I will praise the Lord, she says. And I know as I'm reading this and as I'm talking, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, man, but there are some people that are dealing with some really heavy stuff. Man, that just doesn't seem like the most practical way forward, right? I mean, if we're honest, we're sitting here and we're thinking about the stuff in our life, the circumstances in our uh, our lives that we really go, man, I just don't know that I can keep living like this. Things need to change. I'm sitting here thinking about my own circumstance, my own health thing, and I've I've at various points done better and worse at giving that over to God. And depending on what day it is, I can tell you when, you know, maybe I, yeah, today I'm, I'm doing pretty good at surrendering. You catch me on a different day and I have to say, ah, today I'm, I'm trying to grab that back. I know I let it go to God, but man, I've been trying to get it back from him because, you know, I, I, I think I can do it. I think I can make things better if I could just get in here and mix it up with these circumstances. I think we would all do well. We would all be wise. I'm thinking about me to apply what we watch Leah learn here in this short paragraph of someone who is so focused on her external circumstances, who's, you know, kind of living life to prove a point, right? Saying, hey, God saw me and God heard me and maybe now this is going to make me attached and connected to my husband and finding that over and over and over the way she's hoping to find peace and fulfillment and connection and value it's not doing it and finally she gets to this place of surrender says you know what instead of focusing in on me i'm going to take that focus and put it in on and put it in i don't know put it on god i've got to be honest I'm feeling like, man, that's a tough way (laughs) to end this passage, right? Because you go, yeah, but I want to see her circumstances change. And, you know, I think that there's probably part of us that's used to watching movies and TV shows and reading books and hearing stories that have a lot of a nicer ending than this. Where, okay, Leah said, yep, I'm going to start to praise God now. And then the end of the story would say, and once she did that, then Jacob started loving her exactly as she wanted. She found this deep sense of fulfillment. But that's not how the story ends. She said, this time I'll praise the Lord. Then she stopped having children. And it kind of leaves us like, Wait, no, no, (laughs) that's way too much like my own life. 
Um, the circumstance that I thought, man, if I just give this over to God, then he's going to fix everything. You see that that's still living in the earlier mindset, right? Saying if I can just get this or do this or have this or achieve this, then I'll be at peace. Then we're thinking, man, if I just turn this over to God, then he'll do that for me. He'll get me that or achieve that for me or fix this circumstance. Do you see how sneaky that is? How we're just going, okay, yeah, I get that I can't do it. All right, God, I'm just going to let you do it. Now you put this on your to-do list. You take care of it. That's what we're still hoping. We're still missing the point. I'm still missing the point. As I'm talking through this passage, I'm, I'm really struck by how tempting it is to pretend like we're handing something over to God with the understanding kind of in the back of our minds, like, well, if he doesn't handle it the way I need him to handle it, and if this doesn't work to get me what I wanted to get, then uh, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to take it back. You know, I'm not going to keep surrendering if he's not going to do what I want him to do. And there's a, a deep wisdom here. As we watch Leah finally submit and surrender. And I'm not sharing this passage because I'm like, hey, I'm totally there. <laughs> uh, I'm sharing it, I think, partly because the reason it was jumping out at me lately is because I've got some work to do. So I want to invite you to join me, whatever it is that you've been fixating on, whatever it is that you've been thinking, man, once this happens or I achieve this or I get this or I buy this, man, then everything's going to fall into place. It's not going to work. That's not going to bring you the peace and fulfillment that you want. Only surrendering, only turning things over to God. Not in a, okay, God, now you're going to go make this right, and here's how you need it to work, and here's how you do it. That's not actually surrendering. That's not actually praising and as I wrap up here, I'm going to go and try to start actually surrendering, actually praising. And I want to invite you to join me in working that out and actually letting go.